quick announcement before we get started. Um, I was told right before the children's church, excuse me, the children's message started, uh, Lee has decided to uh, sort of bless us all and volunteer. If you have kids, should be willing to take care of those kids during the va Valentine's Day banquet. So, Miss Lee, thank you for that. So, if you were indecisive about, hey, should I bring the kids? Should I not? She'd be happy to to take care of them while the rest of us eat. And I know we'll save you a plate. We'll make sure you're fed. So, thank you, Lee, for doing that for us. Yeah. There you go. Matthew 12, if you found your spot, if you would stand for the reading of Christ's word this morning. Again, we're at verses, uh, being verses 1 through 14 this morning. May you hear the word of Christ. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain, or corn, and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. And he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? And have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priest and the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man with there was with a withered hand, and, he, and they asked him, this is the Pharisees, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, and if it falls into the pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Let us pray. Father, we thank you again for gathering us here this morning. How each and every one of us is here because of your guidance, your providence. And so, Lord, now open our hearts, open our ears, open our minds to receive your word. And may we put aside all those worries, the anxieties that we brought with us, and allow your word to pour into us. We offer these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. As I told two Sundays ago that we would begin this uh, exploring a new series each month for the next 12 months. And if you could remember uh, for a second, what we're looking at in the month of January is the Sabbath. What does it mean to keep holy time? Holy time. What does it mean to set aside? That's what holy means. Set aside time in our days, in our weeks, in our months, in order to be poured into by Christ so that we can pour into others. And I know this will be a great time in the next few weeks as it relates to holy time 
is because I hear this a lot. Parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, guardians, um, younger couples, older couples, they are asking this question, what, how do I set aside time so that I can help others? How can I set aside time to be poured into whatever Bible reading that I have for that morning? Or how can I be poured into by others? And so I see this as a need in the church in which we are poured into so that we can pour into others. So this morning we're going to be looking at Sabbath. Sabbath. What does it mean to be Sabbath keepers? You've probably heard many, many of sermons in the past where pastors will say, you know what, church, we need to get to work. We need to be a part of God's mission work. We need to get to work so that others can be loved, others can be helped, our communities can be flourishing and the like. You've probably heard many of those sermons. But unfortunately, on the opposite end of that, we pastors sometimes forget to say this to our churches. You know what, church? You need to get to rest. We say plenty about get to work, but we say very little about getting to rest. And so this morning, with Sabbath sort of as our goal about how we keep holy time as it relates to Sabbath keeping, that's where we're at. In this passage, we're going to jump around forward and back in order to understand what does it mean to be Sabbath keepers? How do we keep the Sabbath? Why does it matter that we keep the Sabbath? What are the ways that we can keep the Sabbath? So hopefully all of those questions will begin answering them and looking at them and maybe applying them to our life throughout this week. Uh, if I can confess at the beginning of this morning that I'm not a very great Sabbath keeper. I'm awful at it. And so this sermon is definitely meant for me. I've learned so much in the past couple of weeks in getting ready and reading a number of resources to prepare myself for this message. But if you're anything like me, you're probably not a great Sabbath keeper. Because what typically means is, for me, is I come, uh, experience God's Word, I lean into Christ on Sunday morning, and then as soon as I leave here, I get to work. I'm already thinking about Monday and Tuesday. My Sunday night is I'm preparing for all of the, that's going to happen for the rest of the week. I set aside my calendar and think, what do I have going on Monday? What do I have going on Tuesday? What needs to get done by Wednesday? I'm awful at it. I'm a horrible Sabbath keeper. But more I have read into um, keeping the Sabbath and honoring the Sabbath, I've stepped back a little bit more and I realized quickly there's an issue with my heart. And the issue is this. I'm more worried about producing than resting in Christ and His finished work. He holds time. He holds together everything. Whew. Let me just rest in that. The work will get done. The kids will be taken care of. The, the bills will be paid. So how can we be Sabbath keepers? Um, you probably have run into this experience at some time, at some point. 
Uh, if you're anything like us, we'll sometimes venture off to Jackson and we will go run errands, you know, buy a few things here and there. And then sometime around 12, 1230, our tummies start growling. We start thinking, you know, what, <clears throat> what sounds good? And when you have, well, now four kids, but three kids that eat big people food, you start thinking, you know, what's in the area? Mmm, Chick-fil-A sounds good right now. And so you already start thinking, all right, I need four kids' meals because Jade eats a kids' meal. Four kids' meals. I need three of them to be a four count, two with apple juice, one with a medium Dr. Pepper, all with fries. And then Jade will get an upsized medium Dr. Pepper. I'll get a number two, no tomato, no lettuce, just a spicy deluxe. I'm making you hungry, hopefully. And then a medium Dr. Pepper. And then it hits us. It's Sunday. Chick-fil-A's closed. We all know that. But that urge, that desire, I want Chick-fil-A. And you already start planning what you're going to get the kids. And it's Sunday and they're closed. And that's something that I think we can appreciate about Dan Cathy, the president and CEO of Chick-fil-A and the business that he runs. But once it comes to understanding Dan Cathy's philosophy of this, and of course, as sort of a Christian organization and company, he wanted it to be closed on Sundays. And I ran across an article about a week and a half ago, and they asked him, you know, this is so foreign for a company to be closed on Sunday. Why do you close on Sunday, Mr. Cathy? We said it's as simple as this. It's not about being closed. It's about how we use our time. And so that, I think, is the big idea that we're chasing this morning. Sabbath is not so much about what we're not doing, what we're doing, but it's how we use our time on Sabbath, on the Sunday in which we come together as a church and beyond this, this time in which we meet. It's not about being closed, not about being open. It's how we use our time. And so if you look across the scriptures from Old Testament to New Testament, there are three major ideas once it comes to the Sabbath. Three main themes that you see again and again. First, Sabbath it stresses the equal value of all persons under God. The equal value of all persons under the reign and lordship of God. Second, what you find in the Sabbath, it's a rhythm of life. A rhythm of life. And third, Sabbath is about not just a quantity, but a quality of life as well. So we're going to look at those three in turn. We'll spend a little bit more time in the first and the third, but we'll look at each in turn this morning. The first one, the equal value under God. If you look at verse 1 of, of Matthew 12 uh, that we read a few minutes ago, you'll notice that it said, At that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to, eat, to pluck heads of grain or, or corn and to eat. You might think, well, Jesus and his disciples are going through the grain fields and picking other people's corn. They're stealing. This was not an uncommon practice 
in first century Israel. If you go back and you read Leviticus and you read Deuteronomy, some of the first five books of Scripture, this was actually expected of landowners. If you have your crops, if you have your grapes, if you have your orchards, whatever it is, when you're done plucking all and you've harvested the fruit of the field, you leave some of it. You don't pluck all of it. You leave some of it. Well, why would you leave some of it? For those who are journeying from place to place, they're traveling through, or for those who are poor, those who don't have enough resources, those who don't have enough food, well, they would have known, well, so-and-so's field over there has corn. They would go there and they would pluck enough for, to feed them for that day. Or so-and-so's orchards, well, we know we need these today. They would go and pluck. And so when we think of this in terms of 21st century Americans, we think, oh, they're, they're going through somebody's private property. No private property in Israel in the first century. It would have been something where it was shared in the community. If you needed food, you went to so-and-so's field. Or maybe it was the case that you were a farmer and you had corn and you had a friend across the, the field that was a farmer and he had apples. You would work out some sort of bartering system. You need X amount of corn for the year. I need X amount of apples. Let's share together so that everybody's fed and everybody's taken care of. That's what's going on here in just verse 1. They're walking through the grain fields <coughs> and they're plucking the corn because they are just journeying on the way. And here you have, in the very beginning of 12.1, uh, you have them being taken care of by somebody else. Some other person has yielded this crop. Somebody else has harvested this crop. And, and at least they have left some for the corners of the field so that others can take part. So this is one of the ways in which God is reminding Israel that everybody is equal. Everybody deserves food and everybody needs food. So make sure that you keep it for those people who are sojourning or journeying and those who are poor. And if you jump, again, I told you we're going to be jumping around. If you jump to verses 11 through 13, let me reread those to you. And Jesus said to them, the Pharisees, which one of you who has a sheep, it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value is a man than sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. The Pharisees were caught up with a very difficult situation. They were the religious police, we could say. They're making sure that everybody's keeping close to the law all of the instructions of the Old Testament. And so they're walking around making sure that everybody is keeping the law because they understood that if you keep the law, you are living a holy life. So they're asking that question, as you can see in the first five or six verses of Matthew 12, <coughs> excuse me, that they're asking, is it lawful? Is it lawful? But Jesus is asking a different question. Is it good to heal? Is it good to do good on the Sabbath? 
two completely different questions, which is why there's so much friction between the Pharisees and Jesus. In just about every single encounter between Jesus and the Pharisees, it's about how to keep the law, how to keep God's good instructions. It's not that the Pharisees didn't have good intentions, but how they were having other people live them out, they were going about it the wrong way. They were oppressing people, and Jesus would have none of that. So when we read these interactions between Jesus and the Pharisees, you need to keep that in mind. They're both, their intentions are good. The Pharisees' intentions are good. How can we be a holy people? But they're just asking two different questions of how to get there. Pharisees, is it lawful? Jesus, is, is it good to heal? Is it good to do good on the Sabbath? And church, I think that needs to remind us of when we speak with people who are non-religious or people who might be turned off from Christ, of how we interact with them. Because we can, and I've done it plenty of times, we can come across as modern-day Pharisees. We can come across as, well, you're not doing this, and you should be doing this. To a non-religious person or some sort of Christian skeptic, that just turns them off from Jesus altogether. And so it's not that we're not looking at the Scriptures and saying, how can we love Christ and how can we please Christ but sometimes how we deliver that message, we miss the, we miss the mark. And so it, it's a caution for us. Are we sometimes more like modern-day Pharisees? How we deliver that question. Are we trying to bring people to a bunch of laws and rules that oppresses them the way that the Pharisees were? Rather than seeing the instructions and the, and the good laws of Scripture as pointing them beyond a relationship with God. We have to be mindful of those things. That's point one. Point two, a rhythm of life. The Sabbath is about a rhythm of life. Now, I won't spend much time here. It's more informational than anything. Sabbath, we tend to think of is this weekly time. You come on Sunday to meet together as a church weekly, a Sabbath. But the Sabbath was so much bigger for the Jewish person than just a weekly meeting. Yes, they met weekly and they considered that the Sabbath day. But it was also something that happened every seven years. It was called the Sabbath year. So for six years, the people of Israel would work. They would bring their produce to their field. And nearing into that sixth year, they would make sure that they're setting aside plenty as they're harvesting the field, they would keep enough to eat, then they would put some aside. So that on that seventh year, the entire community of Israel would rest. Can you imagine going to work and saying, you know what, I'm going to work for six years, but that seventh year I'm just going to take off. That's essentially what's going on with the seventh year rest for Israel. And it was something that shared throughout the entire community. Everybody would rest because they understood that there was a rhythm to life. What happens, church, if you continue to work, 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 work? What happens to your body? 
Yeah, burnout. You shut down. Physically, your body starts to die to the point that it will tell you, stop working. What also happens to the earth if you plow it year after year after year after year after year? It will no longer produce nutrients. It will become ravaged to the point where it will no longer bring about anything fruitful. They understood that not only our bodies, but creation itself needs rest. And that God has, in His providence, put rest not only in the earth, but also human beings as well. Even animals. The laws of, of the Old Testament, you don't work on the seventh day, human beings, but your oxen, your animals of the field, they don't work either because they understood the animals too needed rest. The earth needs rest. So every seventh year, the community of Israel would rest and they would eat and take part of the produce that they had built up in that sixth year and live off of it for that entire seventh year. And then the eighth year they would go back into work. Then there was one other time. Seven times seven. What is it, kids? Ross? Seven times seven. Forty-nine, right? Forty-nine. Seven was a very important number for the people of Israel. Not only did you on the seventh day rest, on the seventh year you rested, but if you seven times seven, on the 50th year, so for the 49th year, it was they would continue to work and work and work, and they would set aside all of that produce. And on that 50th year, you would rest as well for another year. But here's a big one. It was called the Jubilee year. All your debts that you incurred, all the slaves that you had had, they were all freed. All those debts you had, they're forgiven. It was a year of celebration reminding the people of Israel that as you were freed from Egypt, you were to be a people of freedom. You were to people, be a people of liberation. And so not only on the seventh day, not only on the seventh year, but the 49th and 50th year, you allowed your slaves to go back. Their debts are forgiven. Let them go back to their homes. You, all the debts that had been incurred against you or you incurred against others, they're forgiven. We start over. All that land that was bought, it's returned back to your family. And so this was a year of forgiveness in which they remembered Yahweh's forgiveness as they were brought out of Egypt and into a land of freedom. They lived out that freedom every 49th slash 50th year. What a beautiful picture of liberation and freedom. Maybe we can call up our credit card companies and say, you know what, 49th, 50th year is coming up. Maybe you can forgive me a debt or two. <laughs> Doesn't work the same today. But that's how they lived in that rhythm of life, whether it's weekly, yearly, or every 49th and 50th year as well. Third major part of the Sabbath, a quality of life. The Pharisees kept asking this question of quality of life. What does it mean to be holy? And this goes back to Leviticus. What does it mean to be holy as God is holy? If you look at this passage in Matthew 12, Jesus is asking that same kind of question. What is a quality, quality of life? What does it mean 
to be holy as God is holy. Again, you see that they are asking the very same questions, but they are going about two different routes of what that means for God's people to live out the Sabbath, to live out his holiness. So look at uh, the assertion by the Pharisees in verse 2. But when the Pharisees saw it, them eating of the grain, the corn, they said to Jesus, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Again, here's the, the police, uh, heart of the holy police keepers. What are you doing? You shouldn't be doing that. That's not lawful to do. And then Jesus' reply in verses 3 through 5, he said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry or those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and he ate of the bread of the presence which was not lawful for them to eat, and for those who were with them, but only for the priest? Or have you not read the law how on the Sabbath day the priest and the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? What Jesus is reminding them is that you honor David as the greatest king. You honor the priests as the ones who take care of our sacrifices, the very people that we trust. But guess what? We are going both to the scriptures, the Pharisees and, the Jew, uh, and Jesus. We're both going to the Old Testament. And here's the point. Even David broke the Sabbath according to you. Even the, the priests broke the Sabbath according to you. Jesus is pushing them into a bigger question. It's not about is it lawful or not. It is what are you doing? How are you spending your time on the Sabbath? What is your goal of the Sabbath? Is it really to love God and serve your neighbor? Or is it just to keep a rule? That's the kinds of questions that Jesus is asking to them. The Pharisees are asking how much work could be done. If you read first century, second century Jewish literature... The Pharisees would even put a number of steps that you could take on the Sabbath day. Can you imagine walking around counting your steps? I think we have, you know, watches for this today, but they would have to count their steps. They would put boundaries around cities so that you would not walk beyond those boundaries because that was too many steps that you could take on the Sabbath. And Jesus is pushing back against that because it was oppressing. It was burdening the people of Israel about, am I keeping the law or not? I don't know. How many steps did I take today? Jesus said, no, 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 no. It is good to do good things on the Sabbath. It is good to help and benefit others if your goal is to love God and love others. Let's not worry about how much work could be done, but rather, what are our actions pointing to? How are we spending our time? So here, let's land the plane this morning as it relates to how we can be Sabbath keepers. I'm going to look at one, many Sabbaths. When I say many Sabbaths, I'm talking about little Sabbaths that you can have throughout the week. This isn't just Sunday. This is Monday through Sunday. First, take five minutes a day. How many of you just... Step back from your day five minutes and say, 
I just needed that five minutes to sit in silence, to be able maybe to read a psalm, read some little piece of scripture. You're not trying to break that scripture apart. You're just trying to read it and soak in and remind yourself that this day was a gift from God. Or maybe five minutes for you is a, just a simple prayer where you're in silence and you're able to voice your concerns to God. Just five minutes. That's what I mean by a mini Sabbath. You will be surprised in taking mini Sabbaths, small Sabbaths throughout your week, five minutes that you are rejuvenated in order to serve others. It's surprising. Or for uh, bigger families, which I don't know anything about that, uh, bigger families who on an evening read a little snippet of scripture with all your, your kids around. Guess what? They won't sit still. They probably won't listen. They're probably going to talk for the five to ten minutes that you read. But keep that in a rhythm so that you sit ten minutes devoted every night and say, this is what we're going to do for ten minutes a day. We're going to read scripture. You'll be amazed the amount of questions that come out of a five, six, ten-year-old asking about what that scripture is about. And they will see ten, fifteen years from now a part of, they will carry that same rhythm, Lord willing, that rhythm into their own life of how we sat down with mom and dad and mom read scripture every night or dad read scripture every night. And it was so focused on us. Dad, mom read scripture for us so that we would love and enjoy him forever. Now, that's just a couple of ways that you can look at many Sabbaths, small Sabbaths throughout your week. What does a Sabbath look like for you in your, on your Sunday? Here's some ideas that I came across uh, this past couple of weeks. One, I think we know that as we gather, we fellowship together. We had this mindset, I think, in America that uh, keeping Sabbath is just only about me doing this, this individual doing this. But when you see Sabbath across the scriptures, it was very communal. It was something the people did together in order to take care of one another, to feed one another, to spiritually feed to one another, to speak truth to one another, to be an ear there for somebody else. It happened in community. And they were able to rest in Christ because they came together. Or also, worship. Worship itself, it is restful. When we put our hearts in a position, in a posture of giving thanks to Christ, in a posture of listening, it's restful. That we can lift our hearts and our heads and our, and our entire bodies to Christ and say, you know what? I'm just going to rest in you today, Christ. Nothing else. Now speak. Now work in me. Worship itself is restful. What about after worship? Here's some ideas. Take a walk, whether that's uh, you with the family, you and your husband, husband, wife. Uh, maybe it's just you getting out for five to ten minutes walking in order to rest in Christ and to walk. Guys, you're going to love me. Go hunt. PJ, go hunt. I'm sorry, Ellen. I said it. Go hunt. 
But maybe reciprocate it, PJ. Maybe she gets a Sunday where she goes and walks and does things. But go hunt. It is a way for you to rest in the things of Christ. There is something about sitting in a duck blind and just having that time where it's quiet. There's no phones, nothing going on, just conversation, and you rest in that silence. Do that, guys. I'm sorry, Ellen. After worship also, no technology. And you might think, I'm saying everybody put away technology. That's not what I'm saying, church. If technology trips you up, preventing you to rest in the things of Christ, put it aside for a few hours and put in a new habit in its place. Again, the question that we're going to ask is hopefully one that follows Jesus' example. It's not do or don't do. It's how can we use this time for loving Christ and loving others? So maybe put aside technology and to rest in the things of Christ. Third, read. Read. Whether that's a book that is a favorite of yours or a genre that's a favorite of yours, read. It's reading scripture. Read. Reading has an activity on the mind that is restful. It puts you in a different place. And my wife is going to love this one. I'm sad that she's not here. Nap. Take a nap. She loves an afternoon, Sunday afternoon nap. In which you can just take an hour, maybe two, where you take a nap. And just rest. And let your body rejuvenate to be ready for what's coming up Monday through Saturday in the coming week. And as I said a few minutes ago, Scripture. Just take in Scripture. Read a psalm. Something that I, I typically do is I will read a psalm and I will focus on one word that pops out to me. And I'll just continue to look at that word again and again and again and see how that word applies to my life that single day. Look for that word. This week I read Psalm uh, 29, I believe, and a scribe, the word a scribe kept popping up. Two or three times it happened in that psalm. And so a scribe means to, to give a reference to. So that day I was trying to figure out how I could ascribe my life to God. How can I name that gift right there to God? How could I name that moment that my child got something for that morning? How can I ascribe it to God and give thanks to Him? Hopefully, whatever you're doing, once it comes to keeping many Sabbaths, small Sabbaths throughout the week, or gathering here together with us on a Sunday, that you are able to see everything in your life as suspended from God's good grace. That we rest in that. That we give thanks for that. That we see one another and we ascribe, this is of God's hand. Thank you, Lord, for this. More than anything, we take the questions that Jesus is making us ask. How can we use our time to love God and love others? How can we love God and do what is good this Sabbath? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the reminder uh, of your scriptures that it is not about what is doing this or not doing that, but rather, how can we do this 
for you. How can we do this for you and to help others? How can we take Sabbath as a rhythm of life in which we see our lives as, again, suspended in your grace? How can we take our lives and see a quality of our own living and living it for your glory and honor? Father, we thank you that we can gather this Sabbath day and be reminded that it is a gift. Now work in our lives, Lord, as we are about to be dismissed in a few moments and to show the world around us of what it means to be Sabbath keepers, not to hold them accountable like the Pharisees as a holy police, but to invite them into a rest that you alone can give because it is you that reminds us that all who have heavy burdens and have labors on their shoulders to come to you, Christ, because you are the one who gives rest. May we indeed rest in that this morning. We offer these things in your name. Amen.